Chapter 26, Becoming Indigenous This quote is by Aristotle. We live in feelings, not in figures on a sundial. We should count time in heartbeats. I was first introduced to the word indigenous during a field trip to the missions of San Jose as part of an eighth grade history project to study the people native to the area. At the time, my understanding about being indigenous had to do with indigenous people in the same way I would later think that the world of business only pertained to business people. In neither case did I know what either meant nor where they existed. But it was through that first exposure I came to regard them as possessing a certain mystery. To me, they appeared at once formidable, noble, and majestic without my understanding why. There lingered within me the sense that they knew something deeper about life that the rest of us had forgotten. My second exposure to the concept of being indigenous came from my grandfather, who as a chiropractor in the 1940s had made studying the role of diet in maintaining good health his life's work. One of the topics he diligently researched was the relationship between nutrition and the formation of the skeletal structure, specifically the teeth and the spinal column. In working with his patients, he consistently found that malformations in their spines were accompanied by corresponding defects in the mouth, such as poor enamel, twisted teeth, irregular spacing, and deformations of the soft and hard palates. In wanting to offer his clients a viable means to restore their health, he researched nutritional modalities to achieve that outcome. One of the books he found helpful was Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, written by Weston A. Price, DDS, which was a study of indigenous peoples and their food cultures. At the time, he shared the book with me. My grandfather had been successful in applying its principles in his practice and, hoping that I would also become a chiropractor, had given me a copy. Obviously, getting a book on nutritional anthropology at the age of 16 isn't so much a gift as it is homework, but I read it just the same and was glad that I did because it was fascinating to read how indigenous peoples, foods, and environments had collaborated for thousands of years to create healthy, disease-free bodies, flawless teeth, and broad smiles in every corner of the globe. Even Price was astonished at the variety of foods that isolated groups consumed and yet remained so vital and healthy. There did not seem to be one diet for every group or place. Instead, each had successfully identified the indigenous foods that through cultural practices had become the lifestyle choices that consistently supported them. Such places ranged from the dry and very hot to the cold and wet. Others were covered with ice. Some were lush with tropical forests, while others grew only scrub grass, sage, and tumbleweed. There were seacoasts, locations high in the mountains, and every altitude in between. But regardless of the place, each was adorned with the native mineral, vegetable, animal, and human occupants that over time had learned to thrive synergistically. Understanding how they managed this for so many generations was an important aspect of Price's research. From it, he proved that the most healthy and long-lived societies were those that consumed foods that were indigenous to the environments in which they lived. This meant that the human, fish, fowl, meats, herbs, fruits, grains, vegetables, and seasons were all part of the same ecosystem, and being so, were fully compatible with each other. Even today, 
There are groups that thrive just as their ancestors did by consuming foods that are indigenous to the landscapes in which both are apart. Such people are long-lived, have beautiful bone structures, pearl-white teeth, and broad smiles, and know little of the infirmities that those in modern societies routinely suffer. As an advocate for the benefits of proper nutrition, Price documented what happened when such people partook of processed and refined foods that had been made available to them through financial, agricultural, and trade interests. Being enticed to emulate the ways of a more modern culture, these people would forgo their traditional ways in favor of the perceived benefits that such groups and interests espouse. But within a single generation, all manner of diseases and infirmities that for thousands of years had been unknown suddenly became rampant. Cavities, malformed bodies, gout, diabetes, birth defects, cancer, coronary disease, asthma, and obesity. Basically, every physical illness that we tolerate today is being normal. Why did this happen, and how does this relate to becoming indigenous? To answer why, we must understand how the places outside of us are also on the inside of us. To answer the how, we must expand our idea of indigenous to one that includes all places, peoples, and times because if our map is guiding us to become indigenous to the place of our present moment, it must work for whomever, wherever, and whenever we are. As expressions of nature, our bodies are enormously sophisticated systems that are designed to thrive within the environments in which they operate, guided by simple and often subtle clues. This is why the people in Price's research were able to thrive on completely different diets that provided the needed minerals, vitamins, fats, carbohydrates, and proteins without any understanding of modern agricultural practices, chemistry, genetics, or microbiology. In its place, long-standing cultural traditions had evolved over time to contain the historical wisdom of the group that safely guided each generation in harmonious accord with its surroundings. Even though many of us live in cultures that are disconnected from our indigenous traditions, we still retain the ability to be guided, as were our ancestors. If this were not possible, to be truly healthy would necessitate a return to indigenous lands and ways, and this is neither desirable nor practical. What we can do is live in a manner that cultivates our ability to access this wisdom wherever we are. The challenge for those who seek to do this is the fact that many of us do not reside within family or social groups that support our ability to access our own guidance. Nor do we have the benefit of cultural traditions to guide us, all of which is complicated by the fact that we are often the product of many cultures. For this reason, the young woman born in Thailand, whose parents can trace their family tree for many generations, will not find the climate, food, or environment of New York well-suited to her needs. Nonetheless, the guidance to thrive resides within her if only she would cultivate it. Unfortunately, this practice is not generally taught because modern society has eschewed the value of ancestral or quote-unquote unscientific guidance, believing instead that modern man could improve on nature with science. As is evidenced by the alarming rate of ill health among all age groups today, it is abundantly clear that this perspective has only served to devitalize our lands and through them our people. With it, we have diminished the role of food 
to that of merely a fuel or at best a form of entertainment, and in doing so have turned ourselves away from the wisdom of a process that is far more sophisticated than eating the four basic food groups would seem to imply. Truthfully, our bodies are highly complex biomachines that are designed to be self-organizing, self-assessing, and self-correcting, which to work properly require conscious participation on our part. We must be paying attention. Absent this understanding, we have been enticed, seduced, and misled, like the indigenous people in Price's work, to embrace the promise of others that tell us what to think, feel, believe, eat, drink, wear, or be, all of which has nothing to do with cultivating our indigenous wisdom. Consequently, the systematic adulteration of the genetic code in our foods, the agricultural processes in which they are grown, processed, stored, and prepared, have severed individuals, societies, and nations from the environments that once supported them. And now, after eroding humanity's relationship with the very landscape that sustained us, we partake of depleted, denatured, and artificial foods in an increasingly fear-filled environment and yet wonder, why are we so unhealthy and increasingly so? Not only do we lack the traditional guidance that indigenous peoples enjoy, we are confused about what it means to actually be healthy, have no clue about what our mental, emotional, and physical bodies require. And even if we awaken to the need to know this for ourselves, we seem destined to float from one restorative protocol to the next as we try to figure it all out. Being indigenous, then, does not necessarily mean a return to ancestral lands to live like our forefathers. If we think this is the answer, we have missed the essential ingredient to being indigenous. For there are as many paths to achieving this as there are individuals, but only if we understand what it truly means for us. While it's not possible to go back in time to live as our ancestors did, we can restore harmony between our inner and outer places. We do this by expanding our understanding of indigenous to include the landscape or the place of our moment, as well as the fruits of thought, emotion, knowing, and wondering that are original or naturally occurring there. But we have to be willing to pay attention if we are to discover them.